Hey everybody, you are listening to The Poison Lab, a show about poisoning for people who manage poisoning. I'm your host, clinical toxicologist and emergency medicine pharmacist, Ryan, and this is a high-yield highlight of the American Heart Association's focused update on the management of patients with cardiac arrest or life-threatening toxicity due to poisoning. These guidelines are a fantastic high-yield review of treatment priorities that clinicians should have when confronted with a patient who has a cardiac arrest from poisoning or has severe life-threatening clinical manifestations from a variety of common overdoses. This episode is being released alongside an in-depth interview with lead author of these guidelines, Dr. Eric Lavonis, an emergency medicine physician and medical toxicologist. This is a high-yield overview of key takeaways from the 12 different poisoning and overdose scenarios covered in the guideline. But I highly encourage you to check out that interview with lead author, Dr. Eric Lavonis, so you can hear about the rationale behind these recommendations, how they can be applied, and really a great discussion of some of the literature that supports them. But this is a high-yield highlight, so let's dive in. The guidelines themselves cover approximately 12 different poisoning overdose opioids, benzodiazepines, beta blockers and calcium channel blockers, sympathomimetics, sodium channel blockers, cocaine, sort of a combination of the both, cyanide, digoxin, methemoglobinemia, organophosphates, and carbamates. The AHA has a top 10 statements for key take-home messages for those reading the guidelines. The first, treatment of cardiac arrest and life-threatening toxicity due to poisoning requires specialized treatments that most clinicians do not use frequently, such as antidotes and veno-arterial extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. In addition to basic advanced life support, use of antidotes, timely consultation with a medical toxicologist, and consideration of ECMO are key differences in a cardiac arrest due to poisoning. Take-home point two, opioid overdose remains the leading cause of cardiac arrest due to poisoning in North America, and naloxone administration can reverse respiratory arrest and prevent cardiac arrest from occurring. Take-home point three, High-dose insulin therapy is recommended early in the treatment of patients with life-threatening beta blocker or calcium channel blocker poisoning. We'll talk more about that in the main episode and specifically when it's needed. Take-home point four, standard advanced life support with the addition of sodium bicarbonate is appropriate for the treatment of life-threatening dysrhythmias caused by cocaine and other sodium channel blockers. Take-home point five, if cyanide poisoning is suspected, do not wait for confirmatory cyanide testing to treat. Take-home point six, administration of digoxin-specific immune antibody fragments can reverse life-threatening dysrhythmias from digoxin poisoning. Take-home point seven, use of 20% intravenous lipid emulsion can be efficacious in the resuscitation of life-threatening toxicity from local anesthetics such as bupivacaine. Take-home point eight, patients with severe agitation from sympathomimetic poisoning, requires sedation to manage hyperthermia and acidosis, to prevent rhabdomyolysis, and to allow evaluation for other life-threatening conditions. Essentially, in a scary sympathomimetic overdose, sedation should be your treatment priority. Take on point nine. Fumazenil reverses central nervous system and respiratory depression from benzodiazepine poisoning, but there are important risks and contraindications that might limit its use. And take on point 10, venoarterial ECMO, can be life-saving for patients with cardiogenic shock or dysrhythmias that are refractory to other treatment. But because it takes time to implement venoarterial ECMO, the process should be started early in patients who are not responding well to other therapies. These are the key take-home messages. Now I'm going to dive briefly into the key points from each of the specific poisonings. 
benzodiazepines. In the management of patients with life-threatening benzodiazepine poisoning, if combined opioid and benzo poisoning is suspected, it's reasonable to start with naloxone first to reverse respiratory depression before other antidotes. Fumazenil can be effective in select patients with respiratory depression. There are some contraindications. If you want to hear more about what those are, check out the full episode. Finally, they state that fumazenil administration has no role in cardiac arrest due to benzodiazepines and can actually cause harm in patients who are at an increased risk for seizure or dysrhythmias. Beta blockers. For patients with life-threatening toxicity due to beta blocker overdose, the guidelines recommend utilizing vasopressors to correct hypotension and administering high-dose insulin either in conjunction with vasopressors or if the vasopressors are refractory. Glucagon bolus and infusion is recommended, but at a lower level of evidence. Other recommendations include the use of VA ECMO for life-threatening toxicity with cardiogenic shock and considering standard ACLS cares like atropine and electrical pacing for bradycardia. A further recommendation is to consider hemodialysis for atenolol and sotolol overdose. Finally, the last recommendation is that there is likely no benefit to the utilization of intralipid emulsion in patients with beta blocker overdose. And to hear more about the rationale for that, I'd recommend you check out the full episode. Calcium channel blocker. In life-threatening calcium channel blocker toxicity, the guidelines make the highest level of evidence recommendation for the use of vasopressors and high-dose insulin. Specifically, when to use high-dose insulin is discussed much more in-depth in the full episode, but largely for those who have cardiac dysfunction or who are failing vasopressors. The guidelines go on to highlight that standard ACLS cares such as atropine and pacing are recommended in patients who have refractory bradycardia and that VA ECMO should be considered in patients who have cardiogenic shock. They make comments that the usefulness of glucagon bolus and infusion is uncertain in calcium channel blocker poisoning, as well as methylene blue in refractory vasodilatory shock. Finally, their last recommendation, consistent with the beta blocker recommendations, is that the routine use of intravenous lipid emulsion for calcium channel blocker poisoning is not recommended. This is also discussed further in the full episode. Cocaine. The AHA guidelines on cardiac arrest or severe poisoning for cocaine do make the statement that cocaine is a hell of a drug. Just kidding. Making sure you're still listening. The guidelines state for patients with life-threatening cocaine poisoning that rapid external cooling for hyperthermia is warranted. It's reasonable to administer sodium bicarbonate for wide complex tachycardia or cardiac arrest from cocaine poisoning, and lidocaine is also a reasonable consideration for wide complex tachycardia. Finally, it's reasonable to administer vasodilators such as nitrites, phentolamine, or calcium channel blockers for patients with cocaine-induced coronary vasospasm or hypertensive emergencies. That statement, of course, is directed towards the issue of beta-blocker-induced cocaine coronary vasospasm. If you want to hear more about that, check out our episode of Toxicologists vs. the Internet with Dr. Jillian Theobald, where the studies for that topic are covered. Cyanide. The guidelines recommend that those with life-threatening cyanide toxicity receive hydroxycobalamin. They also recommend that sodium nitrite can be given if hydroxycobalamin is not available. In addition to hydroxycobalamin or sodium nitrite, it is also reasonable to administer sodium thiosulfate for cyanide poisoning and to administer 100% oxygen. Digoxin and related cardiac glycosides. For life-threatening toxicity from digoxin or related cardiac glycosides such as 
bufo toad venom, or yellow oleander, it is reasonable to administer digoxin fab antibody fragments if poisoning is present. In the event of bradycardia, standard ACLS interventions such as atropine or pacing are also reasonable. Finally, lidocaine, phenytoin, or bertillium, if you can find that anywhere, to treat ventricular dysrhythmias caused by digitalis and other cardiac glycosides may be reasonable until digfab can be administered. The last statement is that there is likely no benefit in hemodialysis, hemofiltration, hemoperfusion, or plasmapheresis in the treatment of digoxin poisoning. Local anesthetics. For life-threatening local anesthetic toxicity, or LAST, the guidelines recommend the use of intravenous lipid emulsion. For seizures, they recommend the use of benzodiazepines, and for wide QRS, they recommend the use of sodium bicarbonate. It's also reasonable to administer atropine for life-threatening bradycardia, and and in the case of LAST with refractory cardiogenic shock, VA ECMO may be warranted. Methemoglobinemia. In life-threatening toxicity from methemoglobinemia, the guidelines recommend administering methylene blue. If the methemoglobinemia is refractory to methylene blue, both exchange transfusion and hyperbaric oxygen may be reasonable treatments. N-acetylcysteine is not a recommended treatment for methemoglobinemia, and ascorbic acid is additionally not recommended. Both of these receive a no-benefit recommendation from the guidelines. These recommendations come from data that supports NAC was unable to actually reduce methemoglobin in a double-blind crossover human volunteer study. And for ascorbic acid, while it has been shown to reduce methemoglobinemia, the effect is slow and often requires multiple doses. So in life-threatening toxicity, treatment with this is not a priority. Opioids. We cover this section pretty in-depth in the main episode, so I really encourage you to check it out. But for life-threatening opioid toxicity, the guidelines recommend that if a patient is in respiratory arrest, you should do rescue breathing or bag mask ventilation until spontaneous breathing returns. For patients known or suspected to be in cardiac arrest, standard resuscitative measures should take priority over naloxone administration with a focus on high-quality CPR. Lay and trained responders should not delay activating emergency response systems while awaiting the patient's response to naloxone. So if you're giving naloxone, call 911. For a patient with suspected opioid overdose who has a definite pulse but no normal breathing or only gasping, in addition to providing standard BLS and or ALS, it is reasonable to administer naloxone. For more info on the role of naloxone in cardiac arrest, check out the full episode. Organophosphates and carbamates. For life-threatening overdose of organophosphate or carbamates, they recommend giving atropine immediately for severe signs of poisoning, such as bronchospasm, bronchorrhea, seizures, or significant bradycardia. They also recommend endotracheal intubation for life-threatening poisoning. Administration of benzodiazepines to treat seizures as well as agitation, as well as appropriate PPE for medical personnel, and external decontamination of anyone with an external carbamate or organophosphate exposure. The use of pralidoxime in these overdoses is reasonable, and when considering neuromuscular blockade, drugs that are metabolized by acetylcholinesterase, such as succinylcholine or mivacurium, are not recommended when doing rapid sequence intubation because the patients have acetylcholinesterase blockade occurring. 
Sodium channel blockers. For life-threatening toxicity from sodium channel blockers such as tricyclic or tetracyclic antidepressants or any of the other drugs that cause sodium channel blockade, it's reasonable to use sodium bicarbonate to manage the life-threatening cardiotoxicity. In patients refractory, VA ECMO should be considered. It's also reasonable to consider a class 1B antidysrhythmic such as lidocaine to treat life-threatening cardiotoxicity from class 1A or class 1C sodium channel blockers. The rationale here is that lidocaine will bind to the sodium channel and antagonize the other sodium channel blockers, but it dissociates much faster. Finally, it's reasonable to use IV lipid emulsion to treat life-threatening sodium channel blocker poisoning refractory to other treatment modalities. Sympathomimetic poisoning. For life-threatening toxicity from sympathomimetic poisoning, guidelines recommend sedation for severe agitation, rapid external cooling for life-threatening hyperthermia, vasodilators such as phentolamine or nitrates to manage coronary vasospasm, and mechanical circulatory support such as an IABP or VA ECMO if cardiogenic shock from sympathetic poisoning is present. A class 3 harm recommendation is put for prolonged use of physical restraint without sedation. VA ECMO. Regarding the use of VA ECMO in patients with life-threatening poisoning, it is reasonable to pursue VA ECMO for persistent cardiogenic shock or cardiac arrest due to poisoning that's not responsive to maximal treatment measures. It's reasonable to use this for dysrhythmias due to poisoning when other treatments are failing. And the effectiveness of VA ECMO for poison patients with cardiovascular collapses from other causes beyond cardiogenic shock has not been established, and that's discussed as an area for future research. Okay, that is everything that the guideline covers, but this was just the tip of the iceberg. Within each one of these sections, there is more discussion regarding the specific evidence that supported their statements. So I highly encourage you to, one, read the guidelines. They go much more in depth into the evidence that supports these recommendations, and the authors of these guidelines are well-established experts in the field of toxicology. Also, I'd recommend you check out the full episode for, I guess, like the seventh time. It's a really great discussion of some of the rationale behind these recommendations, as well as some of the shortcomings of this guideline with the lead author, Dr. Eric Lavonis. Okay, that's it for today. If you like what you've been listening to, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter, or I guess it's called X now, at Lab Poison, myself at EM Poison Farm D. We have an Instagram, talks underscore talk, and a Facebook page, The Poison Lab. You can always reach out to the show at any time at talkstalk1 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening today, and I hope you found this a useful review of the treatment priorities that should be considered in severe presentations of many different common poisonings. Hope you can tune in next time. Hey, Toxo, can you play us out? The information on this show is for educational purposes only and should not be interpreted as medical advice or treatment recommendations. Contact your doctor for health questions or call your local poison center at 1-800-222-1222. The opinions expressed on this show do not represent those of our employers. This show is poorly written and shoddily produced by Ryan Feldman. Don't forget to give it a share with your nerdy friends. Cheerio mates. See you next time.